So you want to watch a movie, but you don't know which. Choosing the one can be a bitch. But Jared and Drew have perfected the art. So sit back, relax, and trust the dark. It's dark for movie night. What's going on, everyone? I'm Drew. And I'm Jared. And welcome to Dartboard Movie Night, the podcast where we put 20 movies on a board, throw a dart at it, and let the fates decide. This week, we dive into the depths of obsession and envy as we cover Oscar's Best Picture winner of 1984. This week, we're talking Amadeus, directed by Milos Forman and starring F. Murray Abraham, Tom Holch, and Elizabeth Barrage. This movie begs the question, Jared, are you more of a Salieri or a Mozart? Oh, man. Definitely a Salieri. Yeah. I would say most people are. Oh, like absolutely. N- 99% of the viewership of this movie is a Salieri. I think uh, energy-wise, I hope I convey more Mozart energy, but definitely in terms of accomplishments, I'm fully in the Salieri. <laughs> yeah. <dude. Bin. laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, definitely a Salieri. I'm right there with you, man. Yeah. Well, we'll get into Amadeus here in a minute. Uh, Real quick, let's run through the board as it sits right now. At number one, The Brothers Bloom. Number two, Don't Look Now. Number three, Zed. Number four, Rio Bravo. Number five, Alien 3. Number six, Anomalisa. Number seven, today's episode, Amadeus. Number eight, Election. Number nine, Get Carter. Number 10, The Limey. Number 11, Coraline. Number 12, Big Night. Number 13, Dirty Dancing. Number 14, Straight Time. Number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Secrets and Lies. Number 17, Seven Days in May. Number 18, Snatch. Number 19, Strange Days. And number 20, Altered States. Man, dude, like there are some old movies on that board. I mean, old for their time on the board, not their when they were created. Yeah, we do have some that have been sitting around for a while. That's for sure. Um, the one I keep almost stumbling over is Alien 3 at 5, because I'll say yeah. number 5, Alien 3, and the numbers yeah. just like <laughs> fuck with my head. And it's just it's just cubed. It's so weird. I have a feeling that that movie is going to be an absolute dog, but we'll see whenever we get to it, whenever the dart leads us to it yeah uh side note blank check is doing david fincher so we might do alien 3 right when they oh (laughs) well we're gonna farm them we're gonna we're gonna do such a better job not to put any pressure on you but you better hit it this Mm. week so we can get ahead of that (laughs) it's like drew you ever heard of this david fincher guy i heard he likes a lot of takes anyway back to you (laughs) (laughs) oh man as Drew mentioned, tonight's movie is 1984's Amadeus, currently available on Amazon Prime, free with subscription. So if you have that, you can check it out there. And also pay to rent anywhere else. So kicking a buck, couple of bucks if you want to check out this Academy Award winner and see if it holds up. We should also mention, given you know the streaming availability um i found it really tough to find the theatrical cut of this movie there are two cuts director's cut and the theatrical director's cut was released in 2002 um and milos forman prefers it um i i was able to figure out like the the differences but i ended up watching the director's cut uh just because that's the most readily available um mm-hmm. what did you end up watching same here dude i i went to I'll just say there were two ways that I watched it. The first was Videodrome DVD rental, and all they had was the director's cut. Mm. And then when I pulled it up on Amazon, when I searched it on Roku, it looked like they Amazon might have had both. 
because there was one three hours and there was one two and a half or so. Oh, interesting. I didn't find the other one. But when I fired up the original, it looked super pixelated. I did. I couldn't tell if it was just a streaming issue or something with their version of it. So then when I went back and went through Amazon specifically, not the Roku search, I found only the director's cut there and it was a lot cleaner. So I don't really know what was going on there, but long story short, I watched the director's cut as well and uh, and and it also was the easier one for me to find, yeah. which was surprising kind of. The uh <clears throat> from what I read there's one major change to it and I think having seen it, I you know, the the major change that they make I think is actually uh a good one. I, I, mm. I, the introduction or the addition of this particular scene, which we can get into, um, I think is really crucial to a, a one character and specifically um, like their their motivations for what they do towards the end of the movie. So interesting. Okay, I'll, I'll just get this out of the way now too. I'm going to be very much relying on you for a lot of the backstory here because this is one of those ones for me, Drew, where I'm really coming in just vibe. I got my feeling about the movie. But I ain't got shit for background. So if okay. you got stuff like that, I'll be dependent on you for it. And I don't know which scene you're alluding to, which is exciting. So yeah. we'll get to it. But that'll be a surprise for me. I've got those details. I, I didn't do a ton of research, but I've got I've got a few tidbits here and there that we can throw in. So, um, but anyway, yeah. Uh, there's two cuts. The director's cut is streaming for free on Amazon. I would recommend that streaming uh, cut. It's um, there's definitely a little bit of fat on there, and we'll we'll get to that. But I think overall without the particular scene that I'm talking about, the movie is a little bit less in, in my estimation. Yeah. So Yeah. And I mean, when we come to these movies with different cuts, which we've had a, a surprising number so far, not a ton, but more than a couple. The Killing of a Chinese Bookie was one of those two cut ones. That might we be also the most dramatic one. <laughs> massively different cuts. And then we also had, to some degree, Heaven's Gate. Mm, which is sure. which is also there's some different versions floating around there. But when in doubt, I would say kind of like Drew was saying too, go with the one the director claims to prefer. That yeah. should be the one you check out. I, I think. I mean, there definitely are exceptions to that. There are ones where like I would prefer to watch the theatrical cut. Um, but I would say more often than not, the director's cut is going to be a more interesting viewing experience. Um, so yeah, uh, I would say that is probably the case from uh, my watch of this one. I didn't watch the theatrical, so I don't I don't know spe like every specific scene that's added. Um, mm -hmm. but from what I from what I read online, most of the extra stuff is kind of superfluous and not really all that that important, but there is a crucial point which we'll get to. But anyway, going back to just the basics, how did this get on board, Jared? You put this on 50 episodes ago. This is two, <laughs> two episodes within the last three that, or excuse me, two episodes within the last four where the, the edition has been sitting on there for 50 episodes. So how did this get on it's way back in the day? Way back in the day, dude. That is so Over just a year trust in that dark, us. dude. Trust that 50, two clean 50s in a recent batch of time is insane. But so let me, let me, let me reach way back in the memory bank for what led to this getting on the board. So this is kind of a two-pronged thing. As with almost everything in life, it begins with a Seinfeld reference. No, <laughs> um, you don't Yeah, big, big surprise, big surprise. But uh, as people who listen to the show probably know, Drew knows this for sure. Seinfeld obsessive guy, that includes me. Love it, love it. And 
there was a scene where Jerry and Elaine are walking down the sidewalk and Elaine spouts off some trivia bit about Mozart. And Jerry says, yes, everybody knows that. It was in Amadeus. And that was the first time when even just as a kid, the movie pinged my radar. And I just I was like, I wonder what that's about. And I just forgot all about it. But I've always kind of, I've always wondered, like, what, what's this movie? And then maybe probably around the time that I put it on the board, I saw a podcast discussion that involved Louis C.K. talking about Paul Thomas Anderson movies. Hmm. And he was talking about how he had met Paul Thomas Anderson. And a lot of people share this opinion that Louis C.K. has of Paul, which is before they meet him, they expect him to be some sort of brooding, maybe awkward, maybe dark type of person, like real artisty type, quote unquote, because his movies can seem like that at times. But Louis C.K. was saying how shocked he was to meet him. And that he's just a guy. He's just like a guy from the valley, like very grounded, very down to earth. And he referenced Amadeus in his description. And he said he felt like Salieri and saying like, that's the guy that God put this talent in? That's mm -hmm. that's him? Uh, just because he's like, you know, just, just a normal dude who just happens to create great, great movies. Um, Yet another Paul Thomas Anderson reference on the show. <laughs> we all, it's like, how the fuck does it keep coming around to that? Well, it's just so clear that like he, he's one of our favorite filmmakers and certainly mine. And like, you know, so I guess it's no surprise. But I thought that was a really cool compliment that Louis gave him. It's really a multifaceted compliment because he's saying this guy's a genius and he's just also a grounded, normal guy. Like it's a really nice thing like it to just, say, I think. Well, I think it's also saying like, it's you when you think of like genius, you think of something that uh, requires a lot of like energy and and like a part of your soul to get out of you. Um, but that this guy seems completely normal and well adjusted, and it's like that that doesn't that doesn't compute, you know, uh, especially for people who who do have to like work so hard at their art to to get to that point. Seeing someone who it just comes easy to is like. What the fuck? Just, this this doesn't make sense. Yeah, so I could I could just see how it's like just such an easy comparison for him to make, and like it totally. just makes sense, and that really like kind of cinched it. So that must have been recent to be putting it on the board, and I was like, let's do Amadeus. I've I've heard of this movie for a long time, but I really don't know much about it. I know it's about Mozart. Oh, there was one other thing: the YouTube algorithm had fed me a couple clips of this movie. Really? And I liked, why? I liked, I have no idea why. Maybe it listened to me hearing this Louis bit. I don't know because I've never, I don't think I've ever sought it out, but I watched a couple clips and it, it looked interesting to me and it's like, ah, let's get this on the board. So that is kind of how all the factors came together for, for me putting Amadeus up there. I find it interesting. You put it on. Um, I mean, when you explain it, it makes a lot of sense, but you know, for some reason, you just don't strike me as the kind of person who would gravitate towards like a period costume drama, you know? Mm, mm. Um, and that's not an insult by any means. It's just like, I don't hear you talking about those kind of movies all that often. So it's interesting that this was like where you went. But I, I mean, it makes complete sense. And, and I think, you know, as we get into it, I think we'll understand why this resonates so much with us. But 
Yeah. And it was just a bit of a flyer. It was one of those, like, yeah, let's get it up there. Who the hell it. knows? Why not? Yeah. 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 Sometimes those random flyers come up with the best movies. I, you know, I, I've really enjoyed some of those that we've watched. So let's get into this one. Given that you put it on the board, I want to ask you, what were your overall thoughts? How did you feel about Amadeus? Pretty sure I hated it. Wow. I did, did not care for this movie. I won't say at all, but I really struggled with this film. Wow. Okay. Uh, that, uh, yeah. I did not see that coming. I feel like this is uh, a pretty enjoyable movie. <laughs> I'm proud of myself for keeping my cards so close to the chest before yeah. we've gotten into it. I did not anticipate I, that at all. I was like, okay, I think this is because, and, and I like, wasn't sure how you feel about this movie either. I thought there was a decent chance we'd be on the same page. Sounds like we're not. But I really wrestled with this movie while I was watching it. And I found it to be, uh, in many ways, dull, flabby, boring, shot in a boring way, uninteresting, generic. I'm just shaking my head. You can't see me yeah. on the podcast, but I am. I'm just, <laughs> Drew wow. disagrees, and I wow. love it. We'll have a lot to talk about. But I really like. The, the movie felt like homework to me and I was just so bored the whole time. And I was like, can we get on with it? Like, it's just so, it just, it just went on and on. And there were scenes where it really broke through and got great. And there are moments that are spectacular and there are pieces of what was involved in creating this movie that are great. So it's not like from my perspective, a complete, waste of time but i just can't this argue with Moulin what rouge for you no no it wasn't that and even moulin rouge as we talked about in that episode coincidentally enough like the last seven that was 50 ago um Maybe as i mentioned like first number for jared i guess so dude it's looking that way but it just in some ways it was more egregious than moulin rouge like moulin rouge went against every fiber in my being in terms of my personal tastes in a movie, but I could respect and admire that there was a lot of talent involved. And you could say the same about this too, but this was so dull and just so dull, Man, taking no risks that I was like, I didn't even have that to compliment it in some ways. And maybe I'm being overly negative and we'll get into the are. specifics. We'll get into the specifics as we go. You're right. I, it You're was not hyperbolic as hyperbolic right now. It was not as teeth pulling as Moulin Rouge was. It was not as, as waterboarding esque, but it was like, um, just, it really was dull for me. And yeah. again, there are scenes that I loved and I think there's a way that someone who might agree with me could enjoy this movie and I'll get to that later. But, um, just overall, I just thought it was a complete snoozer and I really was shocked. Maybe shouldn't have been. I, I wasn't shocked that it was best picture, I guess, but I don't know what else came out that year, but it just was like, this is just not good. I, I did not like it. So that's me. We'll, 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 I'm sure we'll get more into it, but what were your thoughts on Amadeus? I mean, <sighs> It's pretty clear that we have different opinions on this, so I'm not even. I I loved the movie. I thought it was great, um, but but here's the like, like, okay. The director's cut adds about 20 minutes onto the movie, and I definitely think 
some of that flab is from that director's cut because from everything I read, like I said before, the one scene that was added was the the main main thing, and I'll get to that in a second. But I'm I get where you're coming from from the bloat standpoint because I do think this movie has a ton of bloat on it. I think it spends way too much time um, with the uh, opera scenes and kind of, you know, showing you all the stuff on the stage, which, you know, it's, it's well staged. It's, it's interesting, you know, in isolation, but I do think it detracts from the overall narrative thrust of the movie. So I'm with you on that to an extent. However, to me, like, saying it's like shot boringly like it, it this movie is like lit beautifully like it is it is so gorgeous to look at and like the like i i think i think like a more how do i say this this movie doesn't need a crazy hand behind the camera that's like moving the camera and whip pans and you know crazy cuts like like I think that that all could get in the way of what this movie is actually trying to do, which is be a character study. Like this movie is, is about things that I find really fascinating, which is like, you know, obsession with, uh, with celebrity and the way that we, you know, uh, just demand so much from the people who are vulnerable to being, uh, just corrupted and, and, and destroyed by that kind of pressure. Um, it's, it's a movie about genius that is only recognized by a certain small segment during their time and aren't fully appreciated until they're gone. Um, and I think that that's just such a strong, it, it resonates so deeply with me, just like I think especially with the age of social media and the age of the internet, we get obsessed with celebrity and we get obsessed with talent to such an extent that we just, we suck these people dry like fucking vampires. And like this movie is about that exact phenomenon, but just happening in, you know, whatever the 1700s, 1600s, I I don't remember what the the dates are, but um, it's, it's, it's so resonant in a modern context, despite being about, you know, something that old. And I don't know, it's just, it's, it's so human and interesting to me. Like, I I don't know how you could come out of this feeling bored because like, listen, like the, uh, I'll give you like the first 90 minutes or so definitely take a while to get where it's going. And there's like, it sprinkles some of the stuff I'm talking about in there, but it, it, it does take a bit to get there, but man, the back end of this movie is fucking flawless. And there are some scenes that will, will stick with me forever. Like we'll, and we'll get into all the details as well. But anyway, I just, I, th- I think like, I don't know. It pains me to hear that you, <laughs> you didn't like it because it's like, I think this is like so fascinating as a mm. character study. Well, we haven't had one like this in a long time, Drew, where we're... I'm like sad. Like, like lately we've been on... I'm not even mad at you. I'm just like... I know. Oh, you're I just wanted hurt. you to have a better experience. You're hurt. Uh, let me let me put it this way. Um, and, and let me first say I acknowledge what you're saying and I factored it in as well. Because as mentioned, I also watched the director's cut. And we know that between 20 and 30 minutes were added to this 2002 director's cut, the re-release. So I... But I was... 
I was aware of that and I was thinking, okay, well, I'm, I'm feeling this way. I'm feeling the bloat and I'm feeling the sag, but that might just be due to the version I'm watching. And I was like, what I should do is I should grit my teeth and try to a little harder to track down the theatrical and see if it moves at a pace that doesn't slow me down I, so much. I still much. think and it's going to be slow. I, like, I, I, th- I don't I think, think that so that's too. fully going to go away. So like, but, if that's your problem, I don't know if that's going to fix it. Yeah, and like going to add to kind of my reaction to the movies, I couldn't bring myself to see it again, even the theatrical. I was just like, God, dude, I just like... I guess the way I would sum it up is this movie is three hours long, and I think there's about... 20 minutes of greatness in it. Oh, get where, the fuck out of here. Where no, it's like that's, really that's great. That's rude. There's like 20 minutes that's spectacular. And the rest, I was bored. No. Bored out of my mind. It's like at least an hour. Maybe. That's still a third of the movie, though. And it's like... Uh, no, but I'm just saying like like if you're... And I'm, I'm saying like that's like me giving it as little credit as possible. Mm. Like, yeah, I, I I think it's it's much more than that personally. But yeah, yeah, I get I get yeah. what you're saying. I mean, for me, it really felt like about twenty minutes, and a lot of the comedy they were going for didn't work for me. Um, a lot of the indulgence on the operas and the scenes that I can cut some slack because they're trying to demonstrate what Mozart created in his time, and it's important for the director Milos Forman to like take the time to show us what he was going for here as a, as an artist. And I get that. And I'm trying not to apply my hatred of opera to it. Cause that's just unfair. Like, you know, Drew, how much I hate musicals, musical films, even below Jared that. Firmly of the belief that music cannot convey emotion apparently. Oh, that it, but music and singing and dancing combined on film specifically only portrays emotion in a clumsy manner. Both art forms separate can can do things like in a more nimble way, in a more complicated way. But when you have some character snapping his finger as he's walking down the street and singing exactly how he feels, I just have no patience for it. It's so lame. And opera is kind of like that. But again, I'm trying not to let my anti-bias let my anti-opera bias seep into my impression of the movie because I'm not, some people like opera, some people don't. The movie cannot avoid the subject of opera. It's, it's principle to the story. So I'm not faulting that, but do we need 10 minutes of each one, you know, or whatever it is? It just, it just felt so burdensome. And a lot of these scenes are just like people standing around in beautiful rooms talking about stuffy old rules that are on their way out because Mozart's pushing the envelope and people are shooting looks at each other. And I'm just like, I'm just bored. Get fucking on with it. Like, it's so, it's so dull. (laughs) That's the point. (laughs) The point is to be bored. No, no, the point is those scenes of them sitting around and debating like, like the, you know, like, like, the rules that have been set out for this art right. and like the way that Mozart is breaking past that and trying to like redefine this art form. Like that is the fucking point. The, the, the rules can be boring and the rules can be broken, but the scene showing the breaking of the rules should not be, be boring. Stuffy. They like, you're supposed to be like, the scenes shouldn't be men. stuffy. The scenes should be, should be zipping. They shouldn't just be, Pulling me into the chains and the yokes of the past. You're I'm supposed so to be annoyed at those people. You're supposed to be I like, get that, yeah. but I shouldn't be bored. 
Like bored is. But see, I'm not. Uh, yeah, terrible. I'm just personally, not bored. But I get. I, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, that's well. fair. And also, I want to say something too because you mentioned something I agree with, that it doesn't need to be shot in a flashy way. Like, like simple. I love simple camera work too. And this movie does have a lot of simple camera work, but simple shots does do not mean boring. Like we talked about Akiru just last week, I think. And there's there's some complicated shots in there for sure, but there's also some very simple ones. And they're never boring. They're always arresting and like like interesting. You know, I mean, obviously we're talking yeah. about Kurosawa here, but no, like, no, and, and I think that's just a know. difference of filmmaking style. Like Milos Forman yeah. has never been a filmmaker who's about, um, like, you're never going to be wowed by like the staging of his scenes and like the you yeah, know, no. the framing. And I mean, that's true of other movies of his. And we'll get into his filmography. And and you know, I I'm a big fan of his, mm. um, but I think what he's really great at is character and, and is conveying things through simple images and, and characters reactions and, and the, you know, their internal stuff that's going on. He really captures beautifully in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll get to that, but we'll get to um, difference. I, swords are drawn on this one. I'm, Drew. I, I'm getting angry. I'm getting fired. Pist- up over here. Pistols at dawn, baby. This is going to be great. So I keep referencing this scene from the director's cut that's not in the theatrical. And I do I just want to clarify what that is for people now that we're kind of into spoiler territory. Um so the scene that they cut from the theatrical one is is when St- Stanzi Constance Mozart, uh his his wife goes to Salieri and basically begs him to uh give Mozart work. And Salieri, in in a way of of kind of humiliating his rival, uh, attempt you know asks her to come back to his place later that night, um, and you know with the the implication that he's going to you know have sex with her, and and you know by cuckolding Mozart he's you know going to uh, embarrass him. He ends up not you know not having sex with her, but he humiliates her by having his servant show her out as soon as she gets naked. Um, so that scene is cut from the theatrical cut. And as a result, the bit at the very end of the movie, when uh, Constance uh, comes back to Mozart and, you know, when Mozart's sick and, and they've just, you know, composed this thing, you know, Salieri and him the night before. And the reason she kicks him out and the whole implication of, I don't have a servant, but I hope that you will show the dignity, me the dignity of like Mm -hmm. showing yourself out kind of thing. Like that's directly referencing that scene earlier. And, and, you know, in the theatrical cut that doesn't exist. So, you know, I think it is a really crucial scene establishing Mm. their relationship and, and how, you know, I think I think it kind of neuters her character a bit uh, in the theatrical to not have that because she doesn't have this this uh, oh, yeah. reason for for hating this person so deeply. Um, so I knew none of this before you mentioned it, and I'm so glad that that scene is still in this. Hundred percent, it's so because crucial. that's that's one of the scenes I really think is great, and it's and it's crucial, just like you're saying, to why she is so bitter to him at the end of the film. Like, cause without that scene, we'd be like, why is she so, cause she has not seen evidence outside of the scene that Salieri is a bit of a rat bastard. And, um, you know, 
so it's it's pivotal in so many ways that he has this scene and it really kind of adds layers to the length that Salieri would will go to to destroy or attempt to destroy his rival and it's probably the most unforgivable move he makes in the film in my estimation um unforgivable maybe is as strong word but it's the most like nasty ratty bullshit thing he does but yeah and it's just like and it is a great scene um you know it's obviously you know gross but it's a great great scene and i think there's room to interpret that he was always planning on embarrassing her but as i'm thinking about it now i think i'm more inclined to agree with with your first read or what the read you 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 mentioned which is that he possibly was going to have sex with her but then at the last minute decided to dive out of it but embarrass her in this other way Mm -hmm. um so yeah that scene really is an important one and i think it would have been it was a big mistake to have it not in the theatrical even though i bitch about bloat that's a good scene yeah and i i I think it's crucial to the salieri character to show that he's motivated by nothing other than his jealousy and his and his desire to like like his his wish that he was as talented as mozart is all that drives him like sex means nothing to him he's like he's he's in a lot of ways just completely like like asexual like he he doesn't care mm. about that the only drive well, I in think, that sexual I th- move is is to embarrass this person yeah i think he he is somewhat sexual but he had kind of made the decision to to not have sex in his life and honor you know to god or whatever it's chastity right, is the word so i think he yeah. does have some impulse and some inclination and some sexual desire but he has decided to cut himself off from it in pursuit of this other goal and it's some sort of loyalty thing. And, and even though I'm defending the, the scene's inclusion here and I do like the scene, um, we also have the thing where he is constantly explaining his exact motivations through the, the story and the voiceover. So it's almost like we don't really need these scenes showing this level of jealousy because it's being constantly explained to us over and over again. And like, I understand that that's like a device of the film in terms of person at towards the end of their life. And we're doing this sort of flashback story near the end sort of vibe. But it's kind of like my feelings towards musicals here, where in terms of it's just like blatantly expressing exactly how you feel all the time does not appeal to me. And and, yeah, and, I, and I do, you know, that's I think but, that's I, I think that's unfair. I, the, mm-hmm. the movie is way more subtle than, than you're giving it credit for. Like it's not saying things overtly almost ever in the movie. Like Salieri, you know, yes, he's like got this this flashback format where like, you know, he's kind of commenting on things in retrospective. So it's like it's it's it is like you do know what's happening, but like I don't think this is anywhere near like this is not your complaint of of Cameron where it's like super on the nose like no yes yes, you're right so many of the scenes of of him uh, like that are depicting Salieri's obsession with Mozart are like these little reactions that he's having of like like him wanting to hate this person yeah wanting to hate his work but just can't can't bring himself to because he recognizes the genius 
Yes. You know? No, this is this is nowhere. This does not share any flaws with my beef with Cameron's characters. Like Salieri is a complicated character. He doesn't say how who, he's feeling almost ever. Well, not in the not in the through line of the story, but the narration does. Sure. But sure. But he, the character himself is complicated and is flawed and is the type of character I enjoy. Same with Mozart. Mozart is a complicated and flawed individual, despite his genius. Like he is incredibly arrogant and very brash and very um, overly confident and and all these sort of things, uh, and has in some ways a right to be. So I like these characters, and I'm sure we will get to it. But I I actually like the performances a lot too. The problem I have with the film is the the stodginess and the achingly slow pace the glacial pace that it moves i find the whole experience dull but as we go through and analyze the components of this movie i think we'll find that i do like a lot of the stuff in here it's just the the entire experience is what i have problems with but there is good shit in here and among them includes for me the complications of the characters and the fact that these people do have a lot of depth to them and they do have a lot of issues floating around and they're gray they're all very gray characters which i am drawn to generally what's your background with milos foreman have you seen other movies he's made i have yeah so i've seen i would not say i'm like a super deep like know everything have, I mean, he I'm sure have there's a, a bunch filmography, of filmography so it's pretty slender right i mean i am a big fan of one flew over the cuckoo's nest i think that's a really great movie and uh, Ken Kesey's my favorite author. So when I, I saw it before, I really knew about Ken Kesey in terms of the written version of the story. And my favorite book of all time is Sometimes a Great Notion. And I watched One Flew, of, I read One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest and rewatched the movie. And I think it's a great movie. And Kesey had a lot of problems with the movie. But I think he's kind of like, I think it's solid. Like mm-hmm. he hates the fact that the the character perspective shifted because the book is written from the perspective, uh, the perspective of chief, the the mute character who doesn't speak in the mm-hmm. hospital. And it's like, well, and I'm, I'm thinking about talking to Kesey's ghost and being like, dude, are you upset that they didn't center the movie around someone who cannot speak or express themselves? Like, what, what do you want? Obviously that um, works in a book where there's a, yeah. an inner monologue. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really, Almost a flawless movie. I, I have one quibble where the scene where they go out fishing, I think, is pretty lame. But uh, it's a great, great movie. And mm-hmm. and that, for me, is enough for Foreman to be considered a great filmmaker. If someone makes one great film, in my mind, it's like, then, then you can't take it away from them. They could make 10 dogs after that. If they made some, one thing great, considering how difficult it is to do anything, like then I'm on your side. So I'm, 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 I'm pro-Foreman just from... <clears throat> My experience with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Years and years ago, I think on TV, I saw Man on the Moon. Okay. Um, and then some years back, that kind of got a bit of a revival with the Jim Carrey documentary that was exploring how Method Carrey went, went to get into that performance. Um, so, But that's really it for me in terms of my interaction with Foreman. Do you go beyond that? And do you know, are you more familiar with his filmography? Because those are really the only films I know. Other than those two, I've seen The People versus Larry Flint, which I really, really dug. Uh, that's a great, great movie with uh, Woody Harrelson and, and a young Ed Norton giving a really great performance. Um, mm. 
So, yeah, I've I've seen those three. Uh, love Cuckoo's Nest, obviously masterpiece. Uh, I think Man on the Moon is an underrated masterpiece. I think people people talk about that movie for the Carey performance a lot, but I think they're underselling how good of a biopic it is. Like, I generally am not someone who's very into biopics. I think that they can get very just boring and rote and like just doing the kind of checkbox kind of thing of like, oh, well, we got to show this, we got to show this, of the, you know, like, I don't know, the walk the line, walk hard, you know, kind of yep. thing where it's like they're just hitting all the, all the beats that they need to hit, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, that movie is is definitely severely underrated in my yeah. opinion. Um, and another film exploring genius and the mm-hmm. burdens of genius, much like this one. Absolutely. So yeah, uh, big fan of all three of those movies. Uh, it's been forever since I've seen People versus Larry Flint, but I remember really liking it in college. So I don't have many thoughts on that one specifically. But yeah, I I, I really dig Milos Forman. I've I've never watched a movie of his that I was like, yeah, not into that. Yeah, and this included. This you, included. you really like I mean, this one, yeah. I, this is. I mean, uh, I don't know. I, I was about to say like <laughs> this might be my favorite of his, but Cuckoo's Nest is pretty flawless. So yeah, Cuckoo's Nest is so is so good. Yeah. It's so fucking good. And again, he did that. I'm I'm on his side. Yeah, but yeah, uh, big fan of his. I was I was glad to finally get to this. I mean, this has been one that's been on my my list for a long time. But um, oh yeah, I'm sorry. I for, I meant to ask you that. How. What was your experience with this movie? And you kind of, you may have just said it. So if so, we can cut this. But what was your knowledge about this movie before this week? Like before diving into it? So you obviously had not seen it either. Um, was it on your radar just as another form and that you wanted to get to sort of thing? Um, pretty much, yeah. I, I mean, it was just one that I knew. I mean, it was his best picture winner. Like, I mean, I it, it's definitely been on my list for that reason. Um you know, it's it's one that I only recently started to hear like people talk about as like this is like one of the best films ever. Um, you know, like like for some reason it was one that just didn't come up in conversation very much. I feel like when I when you know we were in college and first getting into film, and I don't really know why, but it it's, it seems to have had sort of a, a revival recently in terms of like. Uh, the people that I I listen to for like film knowledge, um, you know, kind of bringing it up in conversation. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's not one that like I was like actively you know upset with myself for not having watched, but it definitely was one that I felt like was a blind spot that I was ready to get to. One thing that the movie does well is shows and explains the genius yes of, of mozart and like oh, one example about, is oh sorry yeah ahead, no 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 yeah well i was thinking if you're down we could just rip through some great scenes that we we well, love i just, this I just wanted ahead. to say like this is not a specific scene but this is something that that happens throughout the movie is anytime salieri is like looking at a sheet of music and you're hearing the music that he's reading on, yeah. the, on the sheet and then you know he'll move a page away and and you'll get a, a whole new song playing like because he's hearing the music as he's reading it that's just mm-hmm. such a beautiful rend- like, like rendering of um somebody who is really talented and is just mind fucked by the way that like somebody else is that much better than them yeah the idea that someone can read a sheet of music and for each instrument involved, hear it in their head 
does show that Salieri is not completely impotent himself. He no. has some skill of, but and, and it's just cool. You're right. It's a great way to realize this idea of someone looking at a sheet of music and hearing each instrument playing a specific note together. That alone is impressive. Um, and, and it is cool to kind of, the way those scenes come together. Mm. And like, like that scene when it's magic, Salieri, uh, rewrites the, or not rewrites, writes the march for Mozart to enter to pretty early on into the film. And he's, and Mozart's like, I think I could play it from memory. And they're or like, he's like, no, I, I've, it's up here. And they're like, off one listen. And, and this is when the king is fucking butchering it too, by the way. Mm-hmm. And he does, they ask him to prove it and he does. And he just like kind of like re- rewrites it and does make it so much better right in front of Salieri's face. Mm-hmm. Like that's just a great fucking scene. You know, I'm giving this movie some shit and I will continue to from time to time. But there are scenes that are untouchable in it. And that for me is one where I was like, this is, that's just good. Well, And, and just like, and Mozart's right when he hits the time that doesn't work. We we're kind of with him. He's like, yeah, that doesn't really work, does it? Oh, did you try? And he's just like kind of rearranging it and fluttering around it. I did really love that scene, I must say. The scene where he, where uh, Elizabeth Barrage's character uh, brings the Mozart's compositions to Salieri, and then Salieri discovers that these are like the only draft, it's the only written one, and there are no crossouts or 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 like adjustments or or tweaks it's just this just comes out of him and like fully formed mm-hmm. and like just the, yes. the, that reaction these are originals these are originals that, that's like, it. Yeah, because yeah. he's like in his mind it's like no 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 there there have to be like edits there have to be things where he's like ah that didn't work let me try this but no it's just it it's just coming out of this this um uh composer just like in its finished format and it's like yeah. that that doesn't happen. And like yeah. like I think like you know, even just like making this fucking podcast, dude, like when like editing the podcast where I'm like, ah, I need to need to pull back on this, like maybe cut this section. Yeah, it's I, I don't know, like stuff like that just makes this movie sing. Like that that is that is the movie. And like I guess I guess it kind of brings me around to like what what did you I I what didn't resonate? Like you said, you hated this movie and we're talking about it. And all these scenes are brilliant. And this is the movie. <laughs> yeah. See, there are great scenes in this movie. There really are. A lot we talked of about, them. Like, there's, like, there's several. We've talked about I, at I, least like, like 10 at this point. I'd say like five or six in my mind are like really good. Really Splitting good. Splitting fucking hairs. But it's, it's, there's so much where there's just so much like shit beside it. That it makes the whole experience for what me is shit? laborious, like the scene. Um, I know you said okay. stodginess, and like I, yeah. I guess I can see some of that, but like, wh- so there's, like, tell me here's a bad an example. Scene. Here's an example. Um, we have a great scene, which is the emperor comes up after Mozart's first opera, the one that he did in German. Now, they may have all been in German, but certainly this one was. And he's like, it simply has. What's the word? Too many, too many notes. That's it. Too many notes. And like that scene's really funny, I think. And he's like, just, just take some out. It's like, which, what are you talking about? Like, it's all, everything is in its exact perfect place. So that's a great scene. I'm not, I'm talking about the scene that, that sucks. Seems, that scene seems to be uh, talking to you in the moment and being like, hey, Jared, all this is important. Just relax. Yeah. 
But then it comes directly following that scene. We get this awful gag of the woman fainting when she meets the king. Well, that's Useless. an added scene. That's that's part of the director's okay. cut. So yeah, just so waste you know. of time. Yeah, bad, not funny. Yeah, and then it goes into this like, oh, was he fucking the actor? She's like, oh, she, all like, of that this. is is director's cut edition. So okay. so if you remove that and you watch the theatrical, I wonder if it works. Maybe better. It, it it very well might. But like that's what I'm saying is like there's so much. There's so much scenes where I'm just like, okay, this scene stinks, like right next to great scenes. And so that's that's one example. Um, I wonder if I can find one that's not an extra scene. Um, the, v- the Venus nipple scene, is that one? That is Venus one that's nipple. in there, right? What? That Now, that's right next to the great scene. Wait, wait, it's kind on. of the same scene. Describe the Venus nipple. I, I don't know what you're talking about. That's the these are originals scene. He offers Mozart's white, uh, Mozart's wife these candies sweets that he calls them venus nipples and she's like eating them and like and again we're this scene is is fantastic where salieri is is cannot believe what he's seeing like again like we said no notes no revisions and i love the beat of as he's turning between the pages we hear each different like he's yeah like he's like He's like snapshot understanding all of these. And he's like, Jesus Christ. And he ends up like dropping it. But as this great scene is going on, and this might be additional, but it just like cuts to this scene of like the wife sneaking an extra candy. And I'm just like, Milosh, I don't give a fuck about the fucking woman that eating is, the candies. That is such a fucking nitpick. I'm angry <laughs> at you for that. Who cares? Why are we taking away from what is like? We're not it, taking it's away a, anything. We're showing that she is like, she's eating not sweets? Salieri. She does not see what he sees. Oh, uh, that might be fair. She knows that he's genius. She wants to support that genius, and she is actively going out of her way to su- to support her husband and and try and like put him in a, pos- a better position because he clearly has no business sense whatsoever, and mm-hmm. like, but like to her like like. You know, it's it's not like I I don't even know why that would even come up in conversation. It's just a cutaway to show what she's doing while he's like, like it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't and matter. Also, kind of kind of like in why does fucking, it matter to you? Because it's just an example of of something happening in the movie that I feel like my time is being wasted. But and it, it doesn't like, it doesn't add any time. You're listening to the music and you're having him do the thing while that's happening. Also, in the mix of what I saw when she goes and eats this little fucking Venus thing, the mouth noise is so loud. She's like, I don't I don't want to do it to the podcaster. But like, it's my just eyes like just went like I, I'm seeing my brain I'm rolling back so much. There's so much time that happens in this movie where I'm like, I don't care. Can we move along, please? And that happens for the the majority of the movie for me. I just have this feeling of like, can we get to it? We get it. The play is banned. Mozart wants to do the play. Like, can we can we get this fucking moving here? It just moves so fucking slow. <sighs> yeah. I, uh, <laughs> listen, it it moves at a deliberate pace. Like, I'm not denying that. It definitely takes its time with certain things and. I, that doesn't totally bother me. I, I mean, you feel the runtime a bit, which I think is that is the most negative thing I'll say about it. Like, it, I think it does. Like, you, there are there were times where I was like looking at the time, being like, "How deep into this are we right now?" 
Um, yeah. So like, there, I get that, but also like, like, I don't know. Like, I, I I need more concrete complaints about like the 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 actual content of the movie than just like a cutaway you didn't like. Like, come on. Well, there's also like all this like just the 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 time it takes to get anywhere almost anywhere in this movie is longer than I feel like it should be. So, you know, that's me just saying I feel. So, I'm not saying that the movie needs to warp its structure around my thoughts, but right. like it's like you've banned ballet, your majesty? I banned it. Well, it seems silly to to cuz is it possible to hear the music with it playing? It's a, I suppose it's possible, Your Majesty. And then we got a fucking ten seconds shot of him walking down to say to pass the news on to Mozart. It's just like, oh my god, everything takes for fucking ever in this thing. Okay, like so you're talking like, about editing ugh. rhythms and just like the-, the whole movie's rhythms is just off, with the exceptions of these great scenes that are in there that move and sing and really hum, like the ones we're talking about. Those are great. But the the deserts in between them are tedious, slow, well, and monotonous okay. for the most I think, part. I think then what what I'm gathering from this is it's a good movie. It just doesn't agree with your sensibilities at all times. Possibly, yeah, yeah. And that's okay. Like, like mm-hmm. that doesn't have to be a movie that you come back to. But to say you like hated it, like says that there's nothing of value in there. No, there's there's definitely stuff of value in here. Yeah. I mean. We'll we'll get we'll probably zip through the performances surely. The performances are really good. Yeah. And there are these awesome scenes. I mean, we mentioned the 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 writing, the one where he's writing. I like the scene where Salieri asks Mozart to play Salieri when he's behind the mask. Mm. And he and, and Mozart like mocks him. And I'm a sucker for a, a big fat fake fart. So that that literally made me laugh. He, Milos got me on that one where he like Jared's sucker for a fart given. Dude, I'm just a sucker for a fart. I mean, it's so vaudeville. Like he the shot is just straight on the ass as he like lifts his coattails and just like lets out a big fake fart. And I'm howling like everyone else in the room in the scene. I'm like laughing just as hard. It's so well, stupid. Well, because it's even funnier when you realize that you as the camera is <laughs> Salieri in that moment and he's just getting farted <laughs> right on direct hit from the fart <laughs> uh it's just like and 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 the scenes where they show mozart's musical genius are really good like playing the piano upside down like mm-hmm. blindfolded as a kid playing the piano for like royalty and stuff mm-hmm. like a lot of these ideas are done really well um but i really my and and so yeah this is a long way of saying i agree with you my my inst not my instincts but my feelings towards a film's rhythm were constantly being challenged and i felt like it almost like every other scene i was like in a swamp just trudging i'm like things are just taking too long am i hiking the sand dunes here like what is happening well fair enough yeah it didn't it definitely didn't bother me as much as it did you i see what you're saying as far as the the slowness and the of the pacing but mm-hmm. uh but yeah um, yeah, it's interesting. Well, I'm glad that you liked it, though. I really am, and and we're not wrapping up yet. But no, I'm no. just saying, like, I was, I was, I didn't want to have a episode where we're both just trashing something. I really thought you were going to have problems with this movie, like I did too. Um, I'm glad that that you really liked it and you're defending it because I think the movie is, as we're saying, it. There's a lot to enjoy here, but I had an issue with the overall thing. That's fair. 
I do want to call you out on one more thing, though. While, sure. we're, while we're in the confrontational aspect. Let's of, do it, dude. It. Let's keep clashing. So a few episodes ago, in the Karate Kid episode, you brought up this complaint you had of diegetic audio, where you'd have a conversation in a car mm-hmm. with two characters, and the audio is at the level that it would be if you were in the room with them or in the car with them. And then it would cut away to a wide of the car and the audio would stay at the same level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You complained about that as a concept. Like, did you have the same issue in this movie where there's diet? I'm specifically thinking of the scene where Mozart is um, orchestrating, you know, or what do you call it? Conducting the orchestra outdoors in front of that fountain, like, you know, for the royalty that's like sitting mm-hmm. outside. You know that mm-hmm. scene? So yeah, like yeah, yeah. In that, scene, that was like was, my favorite music in the movie. I think was in that scene. My interesting, favorite. you say that because in that yeah. scene, it's cutting away from that scene into other things and cutting it to like to multiple like wide angles and stuff. And the audio mm. levels of that that music does not change at all. Does okay. that bother you the same way? Because no, great question. Why? Great question. And how no. is that any different? Because I think with music, it would be more distracting. And and for those who didn't listen to. Um, the Karate Kid episode, Drew summed up my beef just now pretty much perfectly. But I just want to reinforce, like, when the camera cuts away to a wide and, and, and the situation Drew's talking about of the people talking in the car, I don't want it to be, like, drastic. I don't want it to literally be, like, as the camera would hear it. I just would prefer a little dip to for the audio to kind of dance alongside the camera. And, and for things to change as the camera changes too, a little. But I do think, and this, this, this might be hypocrisy, you tell me, but I think with music it would be more distracting. Oh, I, for, no doubt, but I'm saying For like, the music levels to be up and down as it's cutting around this, when the point of the scene... But that's distracting in dialogue too to me. Like that, that, that would that, be the that, same thing. I think... I think um, I'd have to see a variety of examples, but I will say it, at no point did it bother me in this movie. Uh, it, it, it didn't, uh, I didn't notice it. So I would say here, it definitely didn't feel like a problem because it didn't even ping my radar on the under Okay. Well, just wanted to call you but out. But a good question. I think no, it's, no, it's I a good think, question. I still think it's a bullshit complaint of like, uh, like that's just editing. That's just like uh, typical, like, like it is a tool that editors use where there's overlapping dialogue from like a previous shot into another shot. And, and that's just, that's done all the time. Yeah. Um, so like I, that complaint just made no sense to me when you gave it during the karate kid. And I wanted to confront you on it in this one to see if it applied well, to this as well. It didn't apply here, but I loved my retort after we recorded of the Lord of the Rings clip of like the camera starting down a hallway and swooping in to Saruman's chamber. Yeah. Which and is, I mean, that's this echo. That, listen, like, I'm not opposed I like to it. them using it for effect. Like and yeah. but you're talking about within one shot. That's yeah, well, I'm talking about cutting. yeah, a cut to like yeah, that's true. Yeah, I guess you're right. Uh, but if you cut, yeah, anyway, we've we've covered it. We've covered it. But I think at the risk of being hypocritical, it did not bother me here. The okay. the, the use of of audio staying at the same level for the songs, despite different camera angles on what's happening, okay. and also the idea, not so much the outdoor place. So I, I don't have a leg to stand on here, but. 
theoretically in the concert music halls, like acoustically, those places are designed to be, it oh, sounds sure. kind yeah, of the yeah. same from anywhere. So no, there that it's did, that didn't, ultra that, justified. To yeah. Not that's not there. in the conversation for me. It's, it was yeah. the other one. Uh, the other one I feel like is a little bit different because it's actually, it's cutting to like scenes that are not happening within that same area. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, just wanted to see what you thought about that. But I like maybe it. that'll be I a like running it. theme. We'll see. Good question. Did this one bother you? <laughs> um, let's talk about the actors a little bit because you brought oh, up yeah. performances and this movie is pretty universally really, really well acted in my opinion. We'll start with F. Murray Abraham who plays Antonio Salieri. Um, he is a one of those kind of like actors' actors from my understanding in terms of just like he's a guy that, you know, actors really just appreciate his craft. He's not a guy that I'm super well-versed on. How, how, how much have you seen of F. Murray Abraham stuff? Officially, not as much as I would like. I love this guy. He's really I think great. he is fucking awesome, and he's been awesome in everything I've ever seen him do, which kind of like he was not that much. So I, I, he first came on my radar with Finding Forrester. Mm-hmm. So Finding Forrester is a movie that I think is pretty solid. I think it holds up decently. It's, it's a little cheesy at times. It's fine. But it has a soft spot in my heart personally. I just really like that movie a lot. P- potentially more than it deserves, but I love it. I love that film. And F. Murray Abraham in that movie plays this very sort of like sleazy, arrogant professor. It's not so different than than this character to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um Oh, they have some things in common, I should say. Um, and he just play he's really the principal villain in that film. Just like, ah, fuck this guy. Pull one over on him. And he plays the role perfectly. More recently, I saw him in season two of The White Lotus. Yes. And that's when a fish like I already loved the guy, but I had never seen him do a performance that showed that side of him. Mm-hmm. As of this sort of like, I'm using similar words, but this kind of like slightly greasy, very sort of old school uh, sexual guy uh, who just pushes things a little far and is a little embarrassing, but is charming and lovable and, and has a rascal quality to him, even into his 80s or however old the character is. Yeah. And I had never really se- seen him in that sort of range before and loved it yeah he's really great in that season he's he's probably my favorite performance on the show ever it just in that season and that's saying a lot there's a ton of great performances a little hot takey i'd really have to give it some thought before pouring that cement for my opinion but i love him i mean he's in i mean he's in pretty much every episode of that season but i would i would Mm. call him like middle tier of in terms of like importance to to the show Oh, yeah, he's not a main character by any stretch, but he steals almost every scene he's in. And, uh, and I'll throw Steve Zahn out there from season one he's as well as another one. person. I think that, he's fucking think that performance awesome. is incredible. He's so good. But um, Amadeus, despite my beef with the film, like this is just another great performance from him, from F. Murray Abraham. And I will be actively looking in due time to get more of his shit on the board because I love this actor. And I personally am getting big dog energy from him. Absolutely. Like I've just he I haven't seen that many f- films, but he's never let me down of any of the ones I've seen so far. And I'm looking to add more. How do you feel about F. Murray overall? 
Um, I, I'm underviewed on him. Uh, we should mention that he did win the Best Actor Oscar this year for this performance, and I think it's fully deserved. He's I agree. tremendous in this movie. Um, I even, like, he's going big in certain t- points and he's going small in certain points. He can do it all. Like, you know, when he's caked in that old man makeup in the, the you know, the the interview scenes between him and the priest... You know, it's it in the wrong hands. All of that, the he's going big. Like it could be hammy. It could be like not good. Oh, but he crushes it, and he acts it. through that makeup so well. Like mm-hmm. his, the expressions and like the way he uses his eyes, and it's just like it's just so mm-hmm. fucking great. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, dude. My, in that, oh, go okay. ahead. In that, like uh, old man makeup stuff. Just to as you're talking about it. Like that scene in the beginning, that line where the the bishop or whatever the religious guy's formal title is, is like, all men are created equal in the eyes of God. And then he just like kind of sneers at him and just, are they? And it's like the the whole movie is summed up in the delivery of that line. And it's really, it's. I just got goosebumps. See, again, I'm, uh, the movie has good. I, you know, I was just in the mood to bash one, and I do think this deserves it at times. But that's a great line and an amazing reading from him. Yeah. Um, in terms of my familiarity outside of this and White Lotus, uh, I've seen him in Inside Lewin Davis. He had a great little scene in that movie. Um, he's shown up in, uh, I guess it's only one movie. I, I was thinking he was in more than one with... Uh, uh, Wes Anderson, but he has a great, uh, he, he plays the older version of zero in, um, uh, grand Budapest hotel. Um, and uh, he's really great. The, uh, or wait, is he the older version of zero or his character's name is Mr. Mustafa, but I, I forget, but he's yes, no, he is because he's the guy who buys the, the hotel later in life. And yeah, anyway, um, really like him in that movie. And, yeah, I mean, otherwise, he's done a lot of TV work recently. He was in 40-something episodes of Homeland, uh, which is a show I never watched, but, you know, heard good things about when it was on. Um, but he kind of, you know, he's just an actor that I, I, I just haven't seen enough of. I need to need to get yeah. more, uh, more into his stuff. You know, he and I guess it makes sense, and it, maybe it's an easy comp with me talking about big dog stuff, but... He kind of gives me a um, the vibe of like a Harry Dean Stanton mm. of like this character actor who's just in a ton of shit. But I'm just now kind of catching up to how good they really are. Mm-hmm. And like just combing through the filmography on IMDb, I'm doing it kind of alongside you here. And it's there's so many. Oh, that's right. And like inside Lewin Davis, he's in that movie for one scene and he's fucking awesome in it. And it and another thing where it's like. He's a really integral part of the movie, despite just being in one scene. And there's just so much shit here. And by shit, I, don't, I just mean stuff. I don't mean. Oh, he's also really quality. great in Last Action Hero. He's the the bad guy in that, and I really really dig him in that movie. Mm. Yeah, we gotta get we gotta get more of him on the board because he is fucking awesome. And in this movie, Amadeus, he does so much stuff with his face. Because despite the, vo- I mean, he does a lot of stuff with both. Because there's voiceover here, and he's doing that really well. I may have quarrels with the ham-fistedness of the words themselves, but the delivery's perfect. And a lot of it outside of the voiceover, though, and I think you were alluding to this earlier, is looks. 
sneers from the balcony, being stunned and stupefied and jealous at the same time of the quality of the work that he's seeing and how miraculously it's spilling out of this man. There's a lot going on in the character that needs to be shown on the face, and it's great, and it's stuff that's so easy to overdo. Like, there's so many sneers from the balcony Mm -hmm. that, like, could you imagine from Milos's perspective directing that scene and trying to be like, now look over there, and you just, you just, you can't, you can't abide this anymore. You're sick of this guy. And he just, all of these insert shots of just the faces, he nails them all, and, and they're, they're, they're all different too. Like, They're all like, different. Yeah. That's the thing is like when you say like the directing side of it, I'm imagining Milos being like, now react negatively, but different this time, you know? So yeah. It's just yeah. Like, how do you direct that? Like, I mean, yeah. it's gotta be coming so much internally from what he's doing as an actor to just like get into that character and understand Dude. like his insecurities <laughs> and like what he's annoyed by. Yeah. Um, but he, you're right. I mean, and it's always, it's always new. It's always like he's, he finds ways to just twist the same kind of reaction mm-hmm. shots and it always feels fresh. It's score one for Milos there because like you could, I, I love thinking like, could you imagine like directing somebody and being like, uh, all right, how do I bring this up to them? You could be like, so you just finished baking a pie and someone you don't know very well just came over and took the first piece. Like, you know, just imagine like feeding these different variations of disgust or annoyance to this actor and Murray just crushing them, dude. Each each peach that comes down the pike. Yeah, it's legitimately one of the best I've seen ever. Um, It's going to it's almost certainly going to be on my list for the Yunas uh, when we get to those in 40 more episodes. But yeah, and the insanity to my reaction to this movie is. I won't be surprised if he gets mentioned in my list as well, despite my issues with the movie overall. He is spectacular in this. Tom Holch uh, is an actor who, the only thing I'm familiar with him in is uh, Animal House. He's the main character in Animal House. Mm. Um, That came out a few years before this one. And yeah, I I mean, he's not an actor that I'm super familiar with. He's, He's... doesn't seem to have a lot of other major credits. He kind of uh, played a you know a lot of side characters in, in movies after this, but but yeah, how did you feel about him as Mozart in this movie? Excellent, really excellent, okay. excellent, excellent. See, yeah, I was a little I thought, more lukewarm on him compared to F. Murray Abraham, but I mean F. Ahead. Murray Abraham, there's something about him. You know, he has there's a dreaminess. He swept me off my feet. Like he was the performance of the movie for me. Sure, but I think Holch is doing a really difficult tightrope here too, where he's playing this insane, almost like clownish and it's the size of this person's personality and it is hammy and it is big, but I think it, it all works and it all should be that way Mm -hmm. because seemingly this person was that way in real life. And when I couple the strength of his performance in terms of, literally playing the piano in those scenes where he's doing stuff like that. I don't know. Maybe they're faking it. It certainly doesn't look like it. Actually, interesting note. Um, I read this in the IMDb trivia, so I don't know if this is actually true or not. Great assault. Apparently, um, some like classical pianists watched this movie, and they said that every key that's being hit that they see is exactly what you're hearing in the music while it's playing. Wow. So they, wow. Like, they were very, very 
uh, intentional about making sure that the mat that it matched up. So uh, it's a really impressive performance on the technical level in that way. Yeah, and that's what that's what I think makes it so special to me is we have. I could see a world where they get this person who's a, an amazing pianist and just a solid actor. Or you have someone who's an amazing actor and just an okay pianist. And I can see that being a really difficult decision for someone kind of building this thing. It's like, well, if we have, if forced to choose which is more important to you in this film, I wouldn't be surprised if someone chose the acting. It's probably what I would choose if it got into my head. You can fake the piano stuff. Yeah, but this was really, really good at both. Like stunning on the technical level, like you're saying, with the piano. Blew me away. But at really at no point did it feel off to me performance-wise. Everything worked really, really well. Yeah. I, I I say I'm a little lukewarm on it, more just because I I've watching the movie, I I don't know. There there are times where I feel like he's going a little too big with it. But mm-hmm. you know, and like the I know it's Papa. Me- it's meant to be kind of grating, but his little giggle did kind of get to me. Mm-hmm. Um but I guess that's not, I mean, that's the character as written. Like that's not, that's not him just doing that, you know? Um, so I give him credit. It, it, it really is. Uh, I, I think he does a good job of, of getting the kind of rock star quality that, that he needs in that role. Um, especially in the scene that you mentioned of, you know, where Salieri is like behind the masks and, and, and asks him to play his music. Uh, and then he just like shits on him. I think like that whole scene, like he just, he crushes that. Like you, you get the magnetism, the electricity, the, you know, the, the celebrity of this character. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I, I think it's an impressive performance on that level. I guess the reason I'm a little more lukewarm on it is like, this is the kind of thing where for some reason I could see other actors like crushing this. Um, an example, I mean, alternate casting universe, the Broadway version, because this this movie was uh, the script was adapted from a Broadway uh, and a uh, West End production um, uh, on stage. Uh, so on stage, I guess in the original cast had Tim Curry uh, as as Mozart, and um, this the person who inherited the role from Tim Curry was Mark Hamill. Mm. Luke from Star Wars. And now, Tim Curry, you mean um, from Rocky Horror Picture Show? Correct. Tim Curry? Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with yeah. you. Um, and he was the original It, you know, Tim Curry legend. Oh, I didn't know he was the original It. That's oh, you cool. You didn't know that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I always think of Home Alone 2. He's great Home in Home Alone 2. Alone too. Well. He's really funny in that movie, actually. I and mean, he's in Camelot, too, right? Or not? Or uh, oh, he's, in, he's in so much shit. We could go a down a list shit. and just. Yeah name off i mean he's like a classic character actor but yeah he was the original uh, mozart and then mark hamill inherited that role and i could see 1984 mark hamill you know coming off of return of the jedi like you know i think in star wars the kind of childish wonder and the the kind of the especially in the first two movies just the way that like i don't know like like we joke about the way he screams, no, you know, like we joke about that, but like that energy, I don't know. I see the translation to this, like kind of just wild and crazy Mozart character. I could see it really working. I think Hamill proved in the last 
Jedi that like just in case there were any doubters out there, he is actually a good actor. He's an incredible talent. Like it's just George Lucas is, seems to be a pretty shitty director from a from a performance standpoint. Mm. And uh he, you know, but come so, on, he's great in the first Star Wars. Like he's perfect for for what they're going for here, which is this like innocent, naive person who gets sucked into something bigger think, and goes on hero's Lucas journey. Loses it is in the later movies where he's supposed to be the stoic Jedi. Yeah, and just like I don't know, there's so many examples of great actors who show up in the Star Wars universe with Lucas at the helm and they kind of stink up the room for a little bit. It's like, okay, clearly there's a universal connecting piece here. Episode I've seen one all these people. fucking Liam Neeson, Ewan McGregor and Natalie Portman, three of the best actors of our time. Yeah. And they're all dropping deuces in the middle of the floor for the most part. And then, like, you know, Sam Jackson is okay, but we've seen I, him that be... That is generous. We, he's okay, <laughs> but we've seen him be unbelievably great in shit, right. obviously. And, like, there's just so many examples of just, like, hey, there's a good actor, and all of a sudden, like, my smile just uh, just uh, secedes to a straight flat <laughs> across the face. I'm like, oh, they, they're stinking it up here again. Oh, no. George, you dog. Uh, but anyway, I, I I actually struggle to see what you're saying with well, the hammer. hold on. Let me add another a little? element to okay. it. Oh, yeah. Bring it, wrinkle it up. Wrinkle it did, up. Did you know that Mark Hamill... On the animated Batman series and in the animated Batman movies, essentially from like the early 90s onwards, Mark Hamill is the Joker. I did know that. And I found that out maybe like five years ago. And, and it incredible. blew me away. He's blew incredible. me away. But that He's energy, amazing. That energy, that, that like that playful energy and the, the cackle yeah. that he has in that. I can see that in this yeah. character. You know who doesn't get enough credit or doesn't give enough credit to Mark Hamill for being an influence is fucking Martin Short, Jiminy Glick's character. There's so much similarities <laughs> right. in the voice there of like, so oh, you right. go do this thing, and you you it's know you're the, the, the this register. Yeah, when he goes down and he goes do, do, do like that, it's like that is total Hamill's Joker. And I don't know if Short's ever called him out on that. <laughs> Wait, did I send you the? Sorry, this is we'll cut this out. But did, you, <laughs> did I ever send you the Jiminy Glick bit where? He's interviewing uh, Nathan Lane, and they're talking about George C. Scott. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've seen that bit. So, oh my so god! It's send so it funny. my way. I will. But Nathan Lane is just like struggling to to rein it in, and it is amazing. Who knows? Maybe what we'll do is at at the end of the outro, we'll just clip in that that audio bit of Jiminy Glick's thing. <laughs> but it, but anyway, yeah, I, I see exactly yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. The, uh, um, that that parallel is is really yeah. funny. I never put that together. But anyway, do you see yeah, yeah. do you see the energy I'm talking about? Though, yes, right? now I get it. Because I'm thinking of, well, geez, uh, Dontham's aren't more than three meters. I'm like, I can't see that guy stepping into the room as Mozart dominating the scene. You're right. When you talk about the Batman energy, the, his Joker energy. Yeah, he's now I'm in now I'm getting on your wavelength. Yeah, and he also like looks the part. Like in '84, he he would he would be able to pull that off. But anyway, enough talk yeah. about Hamill because he's not in this movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, they they almost cast him in this movie. And Milos Forman said uh, he didn't want to cast a, a major star that way. He didn't want it to distract from from the movie. Um, mm -hmm. He was very intentional about not hiring you know, major celebrities for these roles because he wanted the movie to kind of like work outside of their own celebrity. Yeah. And it, I would say it's big success. Yeah. But, but Holch is, is 
I'm I'm probably underselling him more more so just because I was like, you know, the other one that I was thinking of was like, it's it's too it's too young. Like he wouldn't have been able to do it at this time. But like if this movie had been made like six years later, like a young Robert Downey Jr. in that role, mm-hmm. holy fuck! Like he would have killed yep. killed that role. Mm-hmm. Oh man, now my now my mind's erasing. But I'm I'm just everything I'm stopping on doesn't work. But Downey like Downey's Journey's could, perfect. Junior wouldn't have gotten cast. He he was not a star yet. I think this yeah. is the same year actually that uh, was it. Weird? Could you imagine? Was Cruise? it weird science? <laughs> but yeah, Tom Cruise Cruise could have pulled it off. Young Tom no Cruise, way, no on, way. He, he would have been able to do oh, it. Oh, he would have. He wouldn't have been able to do the laugh. He would have <laughs> doing his typical. Look at Cruise the color laugh. of money. The color of money. <laughs> no, that's the no, character. You're blinded. Your cruise love is blinding you. Oh, he would no. stink in this role. All right, all right. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, I think a young um, Swayze could have pulled this off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He could. He could. Maybe not quite Point Break level energy. Well, but, that, um, Point Break's a little bit later. I mean, that's when he's kind of already yeah. graduated into being. Oh like, yeah, it's like ten dad. years later. Yeah, I'm you're thinking right. like Dirty Dancing, uh, like age. Which we got I have Dirty not Dancing on the board, baby. Dancing. I have not yeah. seen it, but I, I, well, or even like Roadhouse, like Roadhouse, crazy. Yeah. I think could could have done yeah. this. But I think it was smart of Milos to not do a big star, even though we're having fun spitballing other people who could step in and do it. Um, this guy Holch just crushes it, absolute grand slam, I think. And for just from a character level, I really like that. Like obviously, especially in the the timeline of the story that we spend the most time in. F. Murray Abraham is the big dick. Sal- Salieri is the asshole here, the dick. And Mozart, though, is so consistently proves himself to be a prick. Like, he just says so many things where he's, they're just so prickish. And he is so arrogant. It's just like, Jesus Christ. He's eye-roll-inducing at times because yeah. he's so full of himself. And, like, well, the scene I that think we the actor earlier. does that really well. Well, the scene that we referenced earlier of him like rewriting Salieri's music in front of him, like yeah, the arrogance of of like how he approaches that whole situation too. Um, Mm -hmm. It's like he knows how to be cutting without saying stuff overtly, you know. Yeah. Oh, and and even like there are times where it's like, are you are you hearing yourself, man? Like like he's like talking about how he knows Salieri, and he's like when they first meet each other. And he's like, oh, I'm f- I did a piece. It's like silly little tune, but it yielded some good results. You know, like just mm-hmm. like he's constantly carving in. And then like um, when he's talking about how his I think his first or separate opera wasn't well received. Salieri is like, you give our Viennese audience too much credit. You didn't even give them a big number at the end to let them know when to clap. Mm-hmm. And then. You know, he's kind of, even though he's behind the scenes, is trying to knife up Mozart. I think he's not he's wrong being, a lot of the He's time. being genuine in that conversation, I think, when he's well, saying, I think anytime I understand what you're going for here, Mozart, but these people are not understanding what you're doing. And well, he's I think kind that's of just olive it. branching a little. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's just it is that the, you know, Sal- Salieri is like the one who recognizes the talent truly. And I think anytime mm-hmm. Salieri and Mozart are talking about music, Salieri's being genuine. Yeah, but even then, Mozart takes the compliment and slaps him in the face with it. And he's just yeah. like, well, maybe I can learn something from you in that regard. And it's just like, even though Salieri behind the scenes is being an asshole and you don't know that, in this conversation, both you and I, Drew, feel he's being genuine. And 
And also, I love that line that uh, Abraham delivers. It's like talking about the king. He's like, the poor man can't focus on anything for more than an hour. You gave him And four. you gave him four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like, it's just a great, great line, great reading. But yeah. like, uh, again, like we're saying, he is, I think he's, his intentions in those conversations are somewhat clean. Like he means what, Salieri means what he says there. I do want to talk about Elizabeth Barrage as well. I think mm-hmm. she's really, really great in this. And I'm shocked that she didn't have a bigger career after this because she's an adorable screen presence. And just like like she has that lovable face. I could see her just being put in so many roles like this where it's like, um, you know, she's like she's super competent in this movie in a lot of ways. Like she she is the one force in Mozart's life that is giving him good advice as far as like his career and like how to like get better. And I mean, granted, it's coming from a place of she's married to him. She's trying to ensure her livelihood as well. She she straddles that line between innocent and competent very, very well. Yeah, I've, I don't know. There's something about her that I really like, too. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. And like, I feel like I say this a lot about like, actors styles of rolling words together she has a lot of that going on here that i i really enjoy admire dig like thinking about the scene when she brings the originals to salieri's office and she's talking about how he's so bad with money how how mozart is so bad with money it's like money just slips through his fingers it's ridiculous and i was just like i really like the way she's just kind of these sentences are coupling and bringing to, and coming together like it's just very she's really natural like yeah. she's really got a great way of speaking and almost reminded me a little I, this was it was plaguing me drew and it, it might still be plaguing me but i was watching her in this film and it's like she looks so familiar to me to the point where i thought i had seen her in other stuff um but going through her filmography, it's like, not really, though. Like, not not really anything I have seen. And now I'm wondering if I'm thinking of Marion from Indiana Jones and Karen Raiders Allen. of the Lost Ark. Yeah, like, she, she has a similar she was giving energy me, to Karen Allen, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Karen Allen's playing a different, totally different character. But there's vi- something about her in this movie was giving me vibes of some other actor that I couldn't place. And it's still kind of haunting me a little bit, but... But she really is great in this, in Amadeus. I thought she was fantastic. Yeah, she had a big career in TV um, after this. I mean, she was on 84 episodes of the John Larroquette show. Um, but yeah, outside of that, I mean, she didn't have a big presence in in uh, uh, films uh, beyond this, which is kind of a shame. Yeah, I, I, I think I think she she... I don't hear anyone talk about her in this movie the way that they do about like F. Murray Abraham and Tom Holch. So it's uh, it's a shame because she's she's really, really great in this. Mm. Um, and I think especially in the director's cut, like thinking about the idea of the scene of her humiliation being cut, I think that just neuters the performance so much. And, it, and it's really, really upsetting to think about that. Like she doesn't have that scene because that's that is like the crux of that character's arc is like you know, like she's, she goes into that scene trusting and willing to, uh, you know, believe in the good of people. And she comes out of it, you know, being just humiliated and, and, uh, a lot more protective and a lot more, uh, controlled and, and, um, it changes the character fundamentally from the beginning of the movie. And then after that scene, 
Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, just like it, it completely kills that performance in terms of like, like the, the whole arc of it. Dude, without that scene, she is a wallflower character who really doesn't matter that much. Exactly. So it's so important that that scene is there because it really shows that she cares, that she's even willing to play ball with Salieri's kind of rotten game. And then he overlayers the onion with additional humiliation, you know, on top of what they were thought that she thought they had agreed to. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, without that, she would just be some wife character. It would be like, yeah, she's pretty, but why does Mozart love her? Like, it's that scene is so important on so many levels. I can't believe it was cut from the theatrical. Yeah, um, I mean, I, <clears throat> I think like maybe the drive there is like the movie. If if you're trying to trim back and you're trying to focus the movie, like the core of that movie is the relationship between Salieri and and uh, uh, Mozart. Um, so I I can understand it if you're, if you're framing it that way, but ultimately it just does such a disservice to this character. And I think like her, like her arc throughout this movie is so uh, crucial to just seeing like the collateral damage of, of this kind of feud and this, this obsession. Um, So it's a shame that it was not included in the theatrical, but in any case, great performance. I was really glad to to be able to see it because uh, she didn't get a chance to really put too many of these to screen, and it's a shame. One one person that I didn't expect to see and that I I kind of was like, oh look, they're they're in this was uh, Cynthia Nixon from Sex and the City fame, Miranda herself. Yeah, dude, it's so cool seeing these like people who ca- became famous, like de- in this case, like over a decade later. And they look exactly the same. Like you, there's not the the second she enters the frame, I'm like, oh, that's that girl from Sex. Like, I notice her, I recognize her instantly. Yeah, but I mean, she's so young in this movie. It's it's really interesting to see her in that that role. And I think she does a really great job when she is like breaking down. Is like I can't go back there because um, she's you know Salieri's spy essentially in in the Mozart house and. Uh, she's terrified of of Mozart and his his you know descent into alcoholism and his his wild uh, you know kind of just fits at this point and uh, yeah I think she just crushes that scene and it's a little role that could otherwise be forgettable but I think she really lands it and, and made a memorable character in my mind and then I also wanted to just quickly mention um, the guy who plays Mozart's father uh, is an actor named Roy Dotris or Roy Dotrice. I, I don't know exactly how you pronounce it, but um, so that guy is the guy who does all of the audiobook narration for the Game of Thrones books. And he's really oh, cool. great at that. He, he ha- he's very good at like little character voices and like, um, you know, kind of putting a twist on, on different characters so you know who each one is when, when he's reading the book. Um, he's a really phenomenal voice actor in that way. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to mention that. I thought it was really weird. I didn't even, I did not expect to see him pop up. He's also in uh, season two of Game of Thrones. He plays the, um, what do they call him? He's the guy who introduces Tyrion to Wildfire, um, that, that they've been making Wildfire in the basement. He's oh, the, like in the basement with the like, squirrely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, the squirrely guy there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so cool he's, he's got some range to him. Uh, and he, yeah. he's playing a very different character in this movie. But uh, Dude, if cool you're reading him. a if you're reading a book 
for like book on tape purposes to use like old school terminology. And you're just running through so many different voices jumping around. You just must feel insane. You're like in your home audio studio, like switching gears between voices. But uh, that's just crazy. I think you wanted to mention a couple other elements of, of the movie. For though. sure. Yeah. Where I really have to shut the fuck up. I mean, we mentioned the scenes that are great where I'm like, OK, shush now, Jared. This is good. Another realm of that in this movie is I think both the costume design and the production design. And I don't know how much of this was shot in sets or on location. I get the vibe of location, but I don't know if that's true. Most of the Um, movie was shot in Prague. Okay. That makes sense then. Um, Stunning. That's both of those elements of this movie are great along with the music, of course, but um, the costume specifically really floored me just like, I'm assuming this is all period accurate stuff, but the hats and the intensity of the work people put into getting dressed and presenting themselves to the world is just just watching Elizabeth Barrage when she is undressing in that scene and like all the layers she's having to shed just to get naked. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. God damn. It's so much. And the wigs, the ridiculousness of the wigs and how everybody on a wig at one point, a wig and a wig hat on a hat is an expression for overdoing his wig on a wig. And fucking a, it's just like, everybody looks better without the wigs. Let's just get that out. No one looks better with the wig on. Uh, like there's many points in the movie where Mozart like takes his wig off. And it's like scratching his hair. It's like, dude, you look so much better without that ridiculous. Well, wig you got on. rock star hair. Yeah, he's, he does. He's got, he looks like, like he should be in Duran Duran or something. <laughs> yeah, Duran for sure. Um, but I just figured like we have to shout out the people involved, which principally it seems to be costumes world. There was Theodore Pistek, I believe it's pronounced. And it sounds like these are all Milos hombres from the old country. <laughs> and this production <laughs> design, Patricia von Brendenstein. Pat- um, Patricia. Patricia von Brandenstein, uh, but both um, stunning contributors to this movie. So yeah. really, really shut me up on those that component of these movies Man, and, ev- and everything in the opera houses, all that shit. So good. Every scene where Mozart is conducting the orchestra in those theaters is just it's so cool to look at all the details. Like I was just thinking about the lighting and like it must be so hard to like try and get lighting that feels like it's coming from candlelit rooms, you know, but in, in, in like a modern setting that can be filmed properly, you know, like not every movie is going to be Barry Lyndon where they try to shoot everything with just natural light, you know? Yeah. And obviously this is not natural light at all times, but like they do a really good job of giving that vibe of that, that kind of orange hue to everything. Um, it's just gorgeous, man. And like, but yeah, the sets, the, I specifically, I want to call out the, you know, I mentioned that part of the bloat for me in this movie is they spend a lot of time on the different operas and, you know, the performances going on. And sometimes that does drag for me, but when you look at just the, the design elements of it, it's, it's so impressive. Um, just the, the recreation of like what, like an opera set might've looked like from then. And like, just everything that that you know all the details of like the like i'm thinking of the one where the guy like breaks through the brick wall and like all this stuff is fine i I don't know just all of that i think it looks so cool i'm pretty much ready i think to cruise into wrap-up notes territory if you are but i'm in no hurry 
Um, yeah, we, we can go into wrap up notes. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I mentioned the IMDb trivia section where uh, I'll just quote it from the IMDb trivia, uh, where it says several, several professors of music stated after studying all the musical keys struck on pianos throughout the film, that not one key is struck incorrectly when compared to what is heard at the exact same moment. In other words, what you see is exactly what you hear. I think that's so fucking cool. And I hope that that's true. Yeah, um, I buy it. It looks right. I mean, I don't know anything about it, but nothing looks like fucking. You know how so many times you see, like people fake typing in a movie and it's bullshit. Like mm-hmm. I don't, I didn't get any of that vibe here. Another scene that I thought was pretty fucking lame was the <laughs> scene with the guy who had the dogs. Like that was also an addition of the director's of cut. Course. See, okay, every so scene that these... you're pointing out is the bloat from the director's cut. Yeah, it just that scene blew, dude. Even though I did like that there was another person who thinks dogs are overrated. <laughs> I always love when a food when a movie shows that fired. point. And here comes dog owners come gallop against like, see, those are badly raised dogs. The creatures of dogs are noble and heroic, but no, those ones are as mismanaged. always the problem is the owner, not the dog. <laughs> that exactly owner is how a it's dumbass raised. who's encouraging that shit. Exactly. It's just spoken like a true dog lover. Yeah, That's, there it's go. A, never the dog's fault. No, it's not. <laughs> dog is a product uh, of its environment. <laughs> so uh but it's like thought it was kind of a lame scene but hey it was originally on the cutting room floor so i'll walk that back a little bit um i now i really want you to watch the theatrical cut to see if all i know she was because a, all the yeah. scenes that you love are in there for the most part except one and yeah, all the it, scenes you hate one. are not <laughs> yeah yeah and um uh, thing, i think that's the last thing um through but actually i I think that's it for me note-wise, man. I actually don't have that many notes on it. I feel like uh, even though I had beef, I am glad we watched it. Well, that's how I wanted to wrap up. Has this conversation changed your opinion at all? Um, in or, some or ways, adjusted yes. adjusted it? In some ways, yes. In some ways, it's like, okay, it's not that bad. There is stuff in it that's great. Um but one thing we didn't really get into is just how predictable it is. But it's a historical documentary. What are you going to do? Or a historical epic? Like, what, 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 is it not going to be predictable? Like, you know. Um, you found it predictable? I did, with, I with never, some I big exceptions. The, the scene of Salieri and, and Mozart, you know, doing the composition on his deathbed, that was the most remarkable thing I've, I've seen in a while in terms of just, like, I never... I didn't oh. think it was heading that direction. And, and just, like... Man, that scene yeah, just I didn't absolutely see that absolutely fucking floored me. No, you're right. And I actually have a question. Have I just been un- under a, a misapprehension this whole time or or just a mistake? I thought Mozart was like deaf at one point. No, no, no. You're thinking of, uh, of Beethoven? Uh, Beethoven. Or, yeah. Oh, Beethoven okay. Was deaf. Okay. Never mind. Yep. Never mind. So this whole time I'm watching the movie being like, when is he going deaf? <laughs> like, when is he going deaf and writing this great thing when he's deaf? Nope, uh, not just him. Never, not him. Dude, I flub it with great artists, great like historical artists sometimes. Like, uh, uh, never mind. That's another story. But um, more to the point, I think I do. There are there are parts that I do like more that I have expressed, I suppose. Um, but still, overall, I cannot shake the feeling the same feeling I had at the start of this conversation, which is just so many times in this movie, I felt like I was like rowing a 
hoe in a hard road or something. Just like, just like, ugh. Just feels like I'm on the chain gang. You know what I should do? One of these days, I'm gonna do it, dude. Every once in a while, I threaten. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fucking transcode this movie, just run it through the computer and edit it myself. <laughs> just like cut scenes out, and see if I can make it a nice, tidy two hour and five minute movie that would fucking move. Yeah, well, maybe, uh, maybe you're a Mozart. Maybe you're just a Salieri. Uh, yeah, probably. No, definitely Salieri. Yeah, but well. yeah. In any case, I would love to see the Jared edit of this movie just to see what you do with it. Um, yeah, you know the Jared add edit. Some some nice uh, uh, wipes and dissolves <laughs> yeah. for all the edits. And, Star yeah, Wars style, baby. You know the best way to watch this movie is the way I was introduced to it on fucking YouTube and clips. Just watch clips of the great scenes. That's all you need. You're so wrong. Spare yourself three hours. So wrong, but that's okay. <laughs> Go watch the movie, people. It's great. Uh, that'll do for our chat about Amadeus. What do you say we get something new up on the board, Jared? Dude, that sounds great, and I'm fucking excited. Fucking excited. You came locked and loaded, from what I understand. You better believe it. And as you know, I've started this one for me, one for them sort of thing. Last time was one for them, and I had two one for me's. One was like, oh, I meant to put that on the board. Um, So I have that in my back pocket. what was your one for them? Dirty Dancing. Okay. Dirty Dancing is one for them, which you you mentioned earlier that you also have not seen. So that's Correct. a good one. Um, and this one, though, I had one locked and loaded, I thought. It was like, oh, I've, I've, this movie came on my radar in a fun way, blah, blah, blah. But one hit me right before we started recording. It's like, that's the one. This is the one. I saw a trailer for it. Someone I know, uh, my friend Jeannie, a coworker friend of mine, she mentioned it specifically, and I was like, oh, shit, I just saw the trailer. Let me just wind it back a tiny bit. I rented Rambo DVD, or the Blu-ray, and in that was a trailer for this movie. And I saw it as like, this looks fucking cheesy and great and awesome. And then I found out who was in it, and I was like, got to throw it up there. Have you ever heard of or seen the 1980 film Alligator? Alligator. No, I've never even heard of that. It kind of is self-explanatory, but it's <laughs> a 80s monster horror film about an alligator in the New York City sewer. And it's just a monster movie. It looks super silly. It looks super goofy, but it stars a certain Robert Forster. Oh. Who, who doesn't love? Get If anyone talks shit about him, get out. He's okay. amazing. Uh, so I was like, this looks kind of fun. And then I just saw the trailer and I liked it. And then, like I said, my friend Jeannie was like, I watched Alligator and it was fucking sick. And I was like, I just saw the trailer for that. That's great timing. So, like, I think this is a fun one. It's a, it's more in the for for me and for us category. Like, this is a bit of a deep cut. Mm-hmm. Um, but it looks like a silly, fun movie. And I wouldn't say we're lacking that. We've got a lot, like a decent amount of stuff in that category on the board. But I want another one. I want another goofy one. All right. Uh, I'm not opposed. So yeah, and I, w- I want to keep the other one hid for now because the other one's juicy too. Okay. All right. Well, Alligator <laughs> is going on at number seven. <laughs> Can't wait to hear how it sounds in the list. All right. That's from 1980. Let's review the list before we throw that dart. 
Number one, The Brothers Bloom. Number two, Don't Look Now. Number three, Zed. Number four, Rio Bravo. Number five, Alien 3. Number six, Anomalisa. Number seven, Alligator. Number eight, Election. Number nine, Get Carter. Number 10, The Limey. Number 11, Coraline. Number 12, Big Night. Number 13, Dirty Dancing. Number 14, Straight Time. Number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Secrets and Lies. Number 17, Seven Days in May. Number 18, Snatch. Number 19, Strange Days. Number 20, Altered States. And fuck you, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it was so funny. <laughs> Number seven, alligator. <laughs> that, that lives. That is so great. I love it. I love what a it. dumb name for a movie. <laughs> alligator. Just like um, I, I'm just imagining like some writer comes in with this great name, like that's kind of subtle yeah. and interesting, and then the studio execs like fucking call it alligator. Alligator. Yeah. Um. I'll tell you this. I know I'm not hoping for. I don't want alligator because I want that to live on the list for a little while. Okay. Any that uh, you're crossing your fingers for or just blind yeah, luck with the I'll fates? take whatever we get. Sweet, dude. All right. I'm going lefty. Let's see what happens. Drew, the dart has spoken. What's it got for us? Number Five. Well, we wished it earlier in the show. This is going to reek of, of tampering, but number five is Alien 3. Oh, my God. Let them think what they want, Drew. Lefty, warbler, terrible throw. Alien 3, kind of happy about it because that's a tricky one to stumble on. So let's get it off the board. What do you mean a tricky one to stumble on? Well, when you read the list, it's like it's like you said, it's a stumbling block. So we kind of be nice to get rid of it. But it does give us a chance to discuss Alien, and we'll get into it next week. But I recently rewatched um, Aliens, and we'll talk about that. We'll get yeah, there. We'll, we'll get, get there. there. All right. Well, Alien 3, the David Fincher debut film, is what we'll be watching this week. But for now, that'll do it for our episode on Amadeus. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Please remember to rate, review, give us a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. If you want to keep in touch or give us a recommendation, drop us a line at dartboardmovienight at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at dartboardmovienight. Art, artwork for the show is created by Veronica Roman, and all of our music is by Eric Williams. Play us out, Eric. Another game for Milos! <laughs> Later. <laughs>
Oh, do I have a stuffy nose? That's right. It was good. Yes, it was a, a very uh, lucrative commercial, actually. How'd you get something like that, Nathan? Well, you know, it starts with an agent. It starts with an agent. And then they send you out and, you know. And I bet you have to go to a lot of people. You sit in a room. Cattle calls. Cow calls. Yeah, you, you've heard What's of ours? It sounded like you said cow calls. <laughs> That's what I heard, anyway. <laughs> That's what you heard? You don't really project. That's not your thing, is it, so much? Well, in the theater, it is. In the theater? You do theater? Yeah, but we're in a hotel room now, well, so... Oh, my goodness, so we, we are. are. You could actually lower your voice. I could! <laughs> but I won't! <laughs> <laughs> oh! Back to the NyQuil commercial. You're sure. in a cattle call. Then what happens, Nathan? I... Well, you know, eventually they, they narrow it down, and then I... I, say? I Well, the casting director or... A, casting director for or what? A commercial director. For what? For the commercial. And, 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 then, and then you recopy? Yeah, yes, yes, you would recopy. And, oh, and the guy they wanted got sick. <laughs> no. Well, you got it right away. No, I played the guy who got sick. Oh, that's wonderful. You dig so deep. I do dig Not deep. since James Lipton have <laughs> I seen this kind of excavation of a career. I want to talk about other things because you've Good. had such a wonderful career. I'm just not that familiar with it. Right. How's your well, lovely wife, by the way? My wife, Dixie, is wonderful. Oh, good. And I'm my glad. Dixie, my four wonderful boys, Morgan, Mason, Matthew, and Modine, the twins. <laughs> and I think that they're, I think that they're very brave. It's very hard. The four M's. The four M's. <laughs> the four M's. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And, and I, th I think it's very hard for them to be in the limelight. Dixie yes. has been, she's a soulmate. She's yes. an absolute soulmate, and she's my lady of love. Uh, I've I, I, never stopped my lust for her. Really? I haven't. After all these years? After all these years. Sometimes... How do you keep that, that so fresh? Well, I'm on a wonderful medication that I'd love to share with you. But sometimes we'll be traveling The just... big V? <laughs> the big V! No, I've never taken Viagra. No. Is that what you're referring to? Well, yes. No, 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 no. Mine is more of a thing that you hook on. <laughs> what is... Um, Do you smell burning toast? <laughs> I was the Lion King. Everyone talked about it. I never saw it. What was oh, that about? Well, it was an animated film. An animated film. For Disney. That, and that you did played quite well. a king. No, you no. Played a, you I, played... I played a, a meerkat. A meerkat? Yeah. Is it the method approach? Is it like a Bobby De Niro where you're the whole day the meerkat or you just when, when, they, when they rattle the money in front of you? <laughs> well... <laughs> I never saw Disney rattling any money. Oh, because they're cheap. Yeah. <laughs> you got it. I really, I really, I just, I just love so much of what you've done. And you're doing a wonderful play now. Oh, yes, yes, the producers. The producers. Yeah. And you're, and you're with, who are you, who are you in it with? Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick. Wonderful. Oh, wonderful. he's wonderful. Yeah. Have he's... you seen his work? <laughs> no. I... <laughs> oh, my goodness. What happened? Mm. An old Palmel just flipped up right through my lungs. Oh, wow. That's terrible. What about you worked with that one famous drunk? You're sweating a lot. Is that sweat? No, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's not sweat. Oh, okay. um, you, worked, you worked with that one famous drunk actor with the three with the initial. What's his name? I'm always forgetting his name. Uh, Donkey. There's been so many. What? No. Um, oh, George C. Scott. That's it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Was he swerving on the stage all the time? Oh, no. He wasn't. Spewing old booze from his breath. <laughs> he was. <laughs> 
What's that like? He, he was very kind to he me. Was kind to you. He did occasionally have a drink, but, did, but not he, on stage. I bet he had in the little flask he had. Can we don't he hear was, from him so much? Well, he, unfortunately, he passed away. No! <laughs> you didn't get the memo. I but. didn't get the memo. <laughs> Thank you, Nathan Lyon. I want to wish you the best of luck! And may you celebrate Broadway, because you are a Broadway star! And you are a star of all three mediums, and you are everything I've ever dreamt you'd be. And when people said, don't talk to him, you'll be bored to death, I said, <laughs> you're not giving him a chance. Because Thank you. Because no one looks in the mirror and goes, I have a cold. It makes me believe it. Like a Nathan Lane. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jim. Oh. Primetime Glick. We'll be back after this.